Let's open our Bibles. Uh, Philippians, I said Matthew, man. That's such a habit. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And uh, we looked last time at Paul's heart and Paul's prayer, and he really cared about those people, and, and he had the love of Jesus in him, and he got that love from, from Jesus. And it came really through praying for other people that as he prayed for them, Jesus kind of just put his love for them in him. And, and uh, we looked at his prayer again on Wednesday night, and, and really it's just, it's, it's incredible really that, uh, that Paul's prayer and, and through the love that Jesus had for them through him was that they would, that they would grow, really, that they would mature and that they would become deep, and, and it wouldn't be just a kind of superficial thing, but, but a deep thing that God wants to do in us. And we saw in, in verse 6, you know, it's a good work that God um, began, but it's a deep work in us, and, and that we would, uh, you know, superabound, it said, there in love and in knowledge, in, in depth of insight, in discernment, and that it would produce fruit. And so that's true for us today, too, that God wants to do something in us, and He is doing something in us, but He wants it to be something deep, and not just the, you know, the superficial thing, oh, hi, I love Jesus, and then, you know, there's nothing real about it. Uh, I, I saw a couple of verses I just want to mention before we move on, is that uh, Jesus in the parable of the sower, He said that, that uh, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but, but they go as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. They're choked by the things of this world, the, the worries and the riches and the pleasures. Some of us don't have to worry about the riches, but we do have a lot of worries and other things that come in and crowd in that keep us from maturing. So we have to watch out, and that's what Jesus was, I think, pointing out there. Paul said in, in Ephesians 2 that, that uh, the ministry that he was giving to the church would, would be to help them reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and they would become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So God wants us to mature. He wants us to grow up. We're not just going to be babies in diapers forever. Solid food is for the mature, Hebrews 5.14 says who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Constant use, you're in the Word, you're, you're part of a, a fellowship, you're part of what God wants you to do. And, and uh, uh, the last verse I want to read about that, which leads into today, today's passage, is in James. And it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see this idea of maturity and completion, it, it's kind of what he's saying, James is saying here, that it comes, some of it anyways, through trials, right? Through testing of our faith, through persevering and, and, and just hanging in there no matter what and getting to the other side. And, and a lot of life is like that, isn't it? You've got to hang on. You've got to hang on. You've got to get to the other side. You're going to get there. But, you know, a lot of steps that get us there. But through those trials and troubles, and in Paul's case, even chains, they bring us to the place of maturity. 
So today's passage, I want to talk about trials and persecution and the purposes of God. One of the, one of the um, most well-known verses in the Bible, other than John 3.16, if, if any of you in the New Testament, I'll narrow it down for you, most well-known verses in the New, excuse me, <coughs> New Testament, um, what are you thinking of? Most well-known verses in the New Testament, John 3.16 aside. Romans 8.28, someone said it over here. See, one of the most well-known verses, Romans 8.28, we know that all things, we just sang about it, that's probably why you thought of it, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. Now, that doesn't say that all things are good, right? All things work together for the good. To them that love God. So let's pick it up in first uh, in, in chapter one, uh, verse twelve. Paul says these words. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, we have to stop there for a second. We ask, well, what happened to him? We read in, in, in Acts chapter 16 all the stuff that happened just when he first started the church or when the church was born there in Philippi. You remember what happened? He got beaten with rods. You remember that? And he got thrown into prison. And he was down there. And midnight, he was singing songs and praying, him and uh, uh, Silas. You remember that? But that was just, just some of the stuff that happened. This is like 10 years later and all kinds of trials and troubles and persecutions and, and, and stuff had happened to him. He gives a little list in 2 Corinthians. Let me read some of the things. He said, I, I, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been ex, exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Three times I was shipwrecked. He says, I've been constantly on the move, in, been in danger of all different types, he says. Gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. and gone without food often. I've been cold and without clothing. All this stuff that's happened. Now, Paul says it here. He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, that's not good stuff, and you can't call all that stuff good, right? If that happened to you, you wouldn't be saying, well, this is good. You would be kind of sarcastically, oh, this is good, I'm in jail again. Oh, this is good, I, I, you know, my back's ripped open again. Oh, this is good, you know, I don't have anything to eat. Oh, this is good, I, you know, I, I can't pay the rent. Oh, this is good. But, but Paul said, all these things that have happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. God turned it around, you see. God used it for good, to advance the gospel. Now, an interesting thing about this word advance, uh, someone wrote these words. He says that the word that Paul uses here, he says it is especially used for the progress of an army. And it means to cut down in advance, meaning the use for cutting away the trees and the undergrowth and the barriers that would hinder the progress 
of the army, you see. So it's like the advanced unit that would come in and, and clear the way so the army could just go right in. And he said, Paul going through these trials and troubles, it was just like that. He says, you know, maybe it didn't look good, but what happened to me has served to advance the gospel, to kind of clear the way, to kind of clear the way to, to, uh, for the army to come in and, and uh, do, its, do its job. The same person said this, Paul's imprisonment so far from shutting the door, open the door to new spheres of work and activity. He says the bonds destroyed the barriers. Think about that for a second. The bonds, and he's talking about the chains that he was wrapped up in, they destroyed the barriers. That's kind of, that's kind of a paradox, isn't it? That, that being chained up actually opens up things. But the truth of the matter is, think about it and think about your life too. Sometimes things that bind you, things that hold you, things that are, you're in situations, trials and troubles and persecutions even, God can use that in, in ways that you and I could never even imagine. Who would have thought? Only God can do that, right? You think of a guy like Joseph, right? And, you, and most of you know the story about Joseph found in the last chapters of the book of Genesis. All the stuff happened to him. His, his own brothers kind of like sold him out, threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him, but in, in the end they just they got rid of him. And, and uh, you know, they kind of had a little conscience about it. But, you know, hey, we got rid of him. He was dad's favorite and, you know, rivalry and envy and all the rest of it brought him to do, to do that to him. But in the end, at the very end of, of the story, uh, Joseph says to his brothers, because they're freaking out, right? Because they think he's going to, like, get back at them. He says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You meant to harm me. You meant to hurt me. The things you did to me, they meant, you, you meant to hurt me, but God turned it around, and God was going to use it for something good, the saving of many lives. And we know the story. That's what happened. Many, many, many lives were saved because of Joseph ending up in that pit and then in prison and, and all the things that he had to go through. You say, oh, this is good, I'm in prison. Oh, this is good. Paul, you know, I, I see Paul as kind of an optimist. And, and I don't say he's like got, uh, you know, positive, uh, positive confession kind of thing. Because, you know, positive confession means, you know, you're, you're deathly ill. And you say, well, I'm not sick. You know, and uh, everything is wonderful. Everything is good when it really isn't. Paul's positive confession was, you know, uh, I rejoice in my sufferings because God's going to turn them around, use them, and, and good's going to come out of them. He was an optimist. He could see something good. He, and, and even when you can't see what's good, knowing that God is good and that God will do something good, He'll make something good out of it. You see, Warren Wiersbe said to many, all of this would have looked like failure, but not to this man. You see, Paul, he had this desire to go to Rome, and you read about it, he says, I want to go to Rome. I want to go and reach people in Rome. I want to go preach in Rome. I want to go to Rome. Why? Was Rome not an important place? It was like the hub of the empire, right? Rome. This is like Rome. 
It was the key city of its day, but, and, and he wanted to go there. He wanted to go and preach to people and bring the gospel and all that. But now he's in Rome, right? He's writing from Rome, but it's is not in, quite in this way. Oh, this is good. I want to go to Rome, but I didn't want to go this way to Rome, being chained, being you know, under house arrest at this point in time. But look what he says in verse 13, as a result, as a result, what came out of what's happened to him? It says, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He saw, he saw opportunity. He saw results out of something that looked really pretty bad. It's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, this uh, palace guard, uh, is they call it the Praetorian Guard, and, and really this was like the elite imperial guard of Rome. These guys, they were influential, they were important, and there was a kind of a history to them. Uh, at, at certain points, they were like the bodyguard of the emperor, and, and, but they, had these, they were in these places where they could influence people. And they were numbered in the thousands, and, and Paul sees this now, and he says, you know what? I'm now chained to one of those imperial guard every day, 24-7. They would be on shifts like six hours a day, chained to Paul. Six hours a day, then somebody else would come in. So four different guys would be in there with him, chained to him 24-7. Can you imagine that? Paul's going like, man, this is, this is good, you know. He wanted to go to Rome and preach, but now he's got these guys, and it's like they can't even get away from him. You know, when you're out preaching on the corner in the marketplace in Rome, people can just walk away. But these guys here, could they walk away? They could try, you know. There's stuff in the ears, uh, you know, trying to stop the noise. You know how you do when you're a kid? You don't want to hear your parents telling you something, put your fingers in your ears. But he said, it became clear, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, it spread, and, 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 and not only to the palace guard, but to everybody else, that, that what was going on with Paul had to do with Jesus. It wasn't because Paul was some criminal. They could see that this guy is not a criminal. It's got something to do with Jesus, and they watched him every day. They heard what he said. It spread even outside of just the Praetorian guard. It spread, it says, to everyone else. That there's something about Jesus in this guy here. His circumstances don't look too good, but Jesus is there. Jesus is with him. Jesus, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking to Jesus. He's talking to people about Jesus. People are coming to him. He was allowed to have people visit him. He was writing letters. And when they wrote letters, they didn't have computers. They didn't have you know, stuff like you and I, they would actually dictate to somebody. So the guy that was chained to him could hear him dictating the letter because he could hear every word. The guy was writing it down while Paul was speaking it. So the, prison, the, the, the guard guy there is hearing these words. He's hearing the word of God, basically, is what we know it to be, that God was inspiring him by the Holy Spirit to speak. I was just thinking about this, you know, Romans 8, 28 all things work together for good. And I was thinking about the chains in our lives, things, circumstances in our life where we feel like we're, we're just stopped. We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. 
Why am I, you know, stuck in this place, in these circumstances, in these trials? Maybe it's a job for you. You just feel chained to it. Maybe it's children. You feel chained to your children. Like, I can't get away from this, like, 24-7, you know, raising children, especially little children. Whatever it might be, I want to encourage you that whatever has happened to you has happened to serve to advance the gospel and that God can and will use it for His good and for your good if, if you see it. You see, Paul could have went on a real downer, right? He could have went on a real bummer and, and gotten so depressed and so consumed by himself and so consumed by his circumstances and could you see anything good coming out of that? That's what happens to us a lot of times. We get so consumed by it that, that we, we're, of course, people can't see anything good in us. They can't see Jesus in us because we're, we're just all wrapped up in it. But Paul was in it, but he wasn't wrapped up in it. And, and he said, well, I'm here. I might as well do what I, what I can do. And in talking to, you know, Joe, his, his, uh, his guard there. Hey, Joe, uh, have you heard about Jesus? Don't talk to me, you know. Well, yeah, okay. Well, but, but do you know, you know why I'm here? I'm here because of Jesus. And, you know, I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me, and he died on a cross for my sin. Don't talk to me. I'm the guard, you're the prisoner. Be quiet. You know, you can imagine, this is real life, real person, in there, locked up in this, in this uh, place. But Paul said, you know what? I'm here. What's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I'm opening up doors. I'm opening up the way for other people. See, Paul, for Paul, it wasn't just about him. It was about other people, too. It was about other people's taking advantage. And, and if he was used in some way to prepare the way for somebody else, then that's cool. And he talks about it in another place, doesn't he? I think it's what is it, 1 Corinthians 3, where he says, you know, some plant, right? Others water, but God brings the increase. But, but he's speaking there about each person doing their own different thing. And it wasn't just about one person or the other, it was about us all. And we talked about that last week. We're in this thing together. We're, we're on the same team here, and we're, we're going forward together for, for, for Jesus Christ. So even if you think, well, you know, I can never do anything because my life is kind of all bound up and, and I, I can't, uh, my trials are too hard and, and whatever, get a hold of what Paul's saying here. That God knew what was happening and God can use it in your life and God can use it for the, for the people around you. The second thing that came out of it, not just the, the guards around him and other people that heard about it, Look in verse 14, he says, Because of my chains, <clears throat> most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. He saw that too. Again, it wasn't just about him, but, but by his example of boldness, no matter what the cost, that, that others could, could become bold too. Picking up the slack where he left off. Before it was, you know, Paul's doing a good job. Let's just let Paul do it. But now they say, you know what, Paul's kind of locked up. He's kind of he's held back. We can speak up now. John Corson said, 
He said, would to God there would be people who would step up and even take your ministry a notch higher in your absence. Made me think when I read that about Tony Marinelli, a pastor from Cape Cod who, who got an unusual, uh, strange uh, disease and, and uh, you know, pretty much uh, incapacitated him as, in terms of his ministry. And he was a, he was a, a pastor of a Calvary Chapel in Cape Cod and he, he, he lost his voice, he lost his eyesight. Uh, he, he lost his ability, you know, to eat and, and uh, just kind of completely set him back. I have to say, thankfully, that he has had a, an operation recently that he's been able to get some of his eyesight re- restored. And thank God for that. But you can look at it and say, you know, how, how terrible, how hard that is. But you know what? I've seen it. I've watched from a distance how God has raised up other people to step up. And to fill in the gap. A guy, a guy named Silas says God has, has used his faithfulness and his, his gentle encouragement. And, and, and I've just watched him. It's so touching to see. He's come alongside uh, uh, Tony and his wife. And Silas and his wife have come alongside them and encouraged them and lifted them up and been there every step of the way for them. And, and then just uh, in the last few months, uh, uh, you know, uh, Silas has become the pastor there. And, and uh, now... Uh, he's serving in that way, and, and Tony still has a ministry, though he's writing and he's, he's encouraging people through. He's still able to communicate via uh, the Internet and email and things. Just because somebody dies, just because somebody gets out of the way, that doesn't mean we all stop. Sometimes that means we need to step up, not stop. Maybe sometimes you see, well, there's, there used to be somebody who was doing that ministry over there. Well, I guess we're just not going to have it anymore. Maybe, it's, maybe God's putting that on your heart to say, well, maybe, maybe I could do it. Are these guys stepping up with the men's ministry. You know, we've just been kind of waiting to see if God would raise someone up. What can you do? He says that, he says, because of my chains, because of what's happened to me, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. Interesting, uh, that word, speak the word of God, uh, someone pointed out that he was, he was talking there not about preaching, but he was talking about everyday conversation. That's all of us here. We're not all called to preach and, and teach in a... In a in a public sort of way, but I think God is, is wanting to encourage us to speak the Word of God more courageously and boldly. How much time do we have? I don't know. We are talking about it last night. When you think about what's going on in, in Iran and Israel, just that situation alone is enough to, to really kind of uh, put, some, put the fear of God in you that, that something could happen. Israel is going to do something. The chatter, the chatter is all over that Israel is going to do something. Why? Because Iran has stated their purpose is to completely annihilate Israel, and they feel justified in doing it. It's okay, it's good, it's right for Israel to defend itself, that they will do something. Now that's going to create a firestorm, if you can imagine, throughout the whole Middle East, and then, and then it's going to affect really the whole world. How much time do you and I truly have? to speak the Word of God in everyday conversation with everyday people, 
with boldness, with courage, and fearlessly. Paul, God's using Paul's trials, and he will use ours as well. Someone said from his own experiences, Paul wanted the believers at Philippi to learn an important truth that there are no accidents with God. Instead of Paul's ministry being curtailed, it was being advanced. Not that it was all easy. I'm sure it was not easy. Even what was happening there, there was stuff that was going on that could have been a real problem. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. He's talking there about motives, you know, it's in, and motives really about why we do what we do. There were some who had wrong motor, motives. Wrong motors. Yeah, that's the wrong motor, yes. They had, they had bad motives, but there were some that had good. But yet, Paul says, and again, this kind of the optimism, Paul looking for what, what good is coming forth, even from, the, even from the terrible, he says, he says, yet they were still preaching Christ. Now, they had bad motives, but they were still preaching Jesus, and, and not heresy, and not a different gospel, and not another Jesus, because Paul, in other places, confronted those things. And if that was the case here, he would say, they're not preaching Jesus, they're preaching a different Jesus, another gospel, another message, heresy. But they were preaching Christ, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and, and the cross, and that salvation's found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Some had good motives. They were doing it for the right reasons. They had goodwill, he says. They had love. They did it out of love. Love for Christ, love for Paul, and love for people who didn't care about themselves. But there were others. They were trying to make a name for themselves. They were trying in... In, in a spirit of selfish ambition, he says, and envy and rivalry and competition. Really, there, there is no place for competition amongst churches that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no place at all for competition. We've got to each focus on what God's called us to do. One commentator said this. He says it's sad to think that Christian service can be carried on in the energy of the flesh, motivated by greed and strife, pride and envy. This teaches the necessity for watching our motives when we serve the Lord. We must not do it for self-display, for the advancement of a religious sect, or for the defeat of other Christians. We've got to watch our own motives. But Paul said, you know what, the gospel's going out. They're preaching Christ. When you think about it, though, you know, it's hard to believe that God can use people with the wrong motives, isn't it? How can He do that? How can God do it? He says, but if they're preaching Christ, the power is in the gospel. It's in the, it's in the message, right? It's not in those people anyways. And I have to add this. Who of us 
is completely and totally pure in all of our motives. Who of us is completely and totally pure in our motives? We are all sinners. We, you know, we try to do our best. We try to keep our hearts pure and right, but we're still sinners. We're still living in a sinful body. We still have, you know, the pride that's there and, and the other stuff that creeps in. Every single one of us. Selfish ambition found in Galatians 5.20, one of the works of the flesh. James says that, you know, it doesn't come from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, of the devil even, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition. He says, where you have those things, though you find disorder in every evil practice. So, so we, we need to search our own hearts, and, and that's why Psalm 139, 23, and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. I think Paul knew that, too. I mean, it was obvious to him about some that didn't have the right motives, but he said, you know what, Jesus, Jesus is being preached. That's what matters. There's churches out there, they, they don't do things, we don't agree with maybe the way they're doing things, but if they're preaching the truth of Jesus Christ, praise God for that. It's good. It's good. Keep it up. But if they're preaching some heresy, we can't say, oh, God bless you. See, there's a line, right? There's a, there's a distinction between those that are truly preaching truth and those that are preaching false gospel, a different gospel, a different Jesus. Now, Paul knows all this stuff that's going on in his response. In the last verse we'll look at this morning before we share in communion, he says, so, he says, uh, <clears throat> verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, from, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. That's Paul's response. That's incredible. You talk about optimism there. Somebody who can see the good, that Jesus. That's why Paul could have joy. He says, I rejoice. Why? Because Jesus is number one. It wasn't his ministry that was number one. It wasn't, you know, that people, what, you know, what people are doing is number one. It's Jesus number one. He saw the good in it. He saw Romans 8, 28. He saw it in his own life. He saw it even in the lives of other people. You know, we, 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 we need to do what God has called us to do and let God deal with people's motives. You say, well, it, you know, is it not important what people's motives are? Yes, it is, but it's, it's not our problem. It's God's problem. Proverbs 16 says, motives are weighed by the Lord. He said, all, the ways, all a man's ways seem innocent to him. We can't sometimes, we even don't even know what our motives are. But motives are weighed by the Lord. We need to just let Him worry about it. And, and Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, he said, Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. And at that time, each will receive his praise from God. He, he's going to deal with that. It's not our problem. We take on other people's stuff. We, it's like that proverb about grabbing a dog by the ears and wondering why things are biting. You know, stay out of it. If they're preaching Jesus, let God deal with them. It's, it's enough of a problem for us to preach Jesus ourselves, right? 
and to deal with the trials and the troubles and the change that we face to, to see that God is going to work something good out of it. I want to finish with two little stories and one scripture. And um, Peter Marshall, who was uh, like the, uh, in, in the Senate, he was the uh, chaplain. He, he says that when Handel wrote the Hallelujah Chorus, his health and his fortunes had reached the lowest possible ebb. His right side had become paralyzed. All his money was gone. He was heavily in debt, threatened with imprisonment. He was tempted to give up the fight. The odds seemed entirely too great. And it was then he composed his greatest work, Messiah. Is that incredible? That's encouraging to me. When it all looked totally horrible, he, he, he does the most incredible work. The Hallelujah Chorus, Handel's Messiah. And one more story, a little more contemporary. In Enterprise, Alabama, and I've, I, I saw this before. I've used it years ago. It says you'll see one of the most unusual monuments ever built. It's a monument to honor the bull weevil. The little insect that nearly destroyed the cotton on which the town's economy depended. Why a monument? Because before the bull weevil, every family depended on cotton. And when the bull weevil struck, they diversified and began to plant peanuts with great success. <laughs> peanuts. You might think it's just peanuts what you're doing. That's a different story. I'm sorry. It says the inscription reads this. In profound appreciation of the bull weevil and of what it has done, as the herald of prosperity, this monument is erected by the citizens of Enterprise in Alabama. Is that incredible? What has happened to me, Paul said? What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You don't know what is happening in your life right now is going to serve to turn it around for something good. You don't know how. You don't know when, but keep your eyes open because if God's in it, which He is, because God is sovereign, He's in charge, He's, in, he's, he's active in your life, see what He's going to do. That should be hopeful and encouraging. Let's turn and, and close with 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians... Colossians, Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> so you have to read it aloud in my head too. Remember Jesus Christ. Paul writing here at the very end of his life. He would certainly, he knew that, and he talks about, you know, that he came to the end. He'd run his race. He'd fought a good fight. He'd, he'd kept the faith. He says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. He said, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I'll endure it 
even if it means being chained like a criminal, whatever, whatever I have to do for the sake of someone else, that they may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. That's having a life that counts, a life that means something. I wonder if that's challenging to you and to me. I hope it is. That Christ would be preached and that souls would be one and that God could use you and me, everyday people, everyday conversation, courageously, fearlessly. Let's pray together before we share communion.